Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Fair Territory. I come to you this week from a secret, undisclosed location. No, I'm not going to tell you where I am. I don't want my competition knowing what I'm up to. You never know. Now, this is an important day, a holiday, Juneteenth, a celebration of black freedom. I want to wish everyone a happy Juneteenth. And we start this week talking about a guy that we often talk about on this show. And some people get tired of hearing about this guy only because he's not on their team. If you've got Otani fatigue, I suggest you become a fan of another sport because what we are seeing from this player, again, is something that is frankly unfathomable. He's coming off one of the best weeks of his career. He is now the major league home run leader with 24. He has a 15 game hitting streak right now, six multi-hit games in that 15 game hitting streak. And here's the best news of all, or at least best news for Angels fans. He's not getting traded. And he's not getting traded, not because we have to debate whether it's the right thing to do. No, he's not getting traded because right now the Angels hold one of the wild card positions. Believe it or not, they have a better record than the Astros, a better record than the Yankees. They're in the second wild card spot. They are on something of a roll, at least for them. They've won 11 of 14. That includes three of four in Texas, in which Otani went nuts. Three home runs, big pitching performance as well. People say, ah, he hasn't played big games. Well, he did in the WBC, and he did in Texas over the weekend. Now, always possible the Angels could collapse. You can't rule that out with this team, but I don't see that happening. This is Otani at his absolute best. And I want to show you now a comparison between this season and what he's done so far and his 2021 MVP season, because these comparisons are rather telling. And let's start off by looking at the hitting comparison. Yes, Otani versus himself, 2021 versus 2023. You look at the on-base percentage, higher this year. Slugging, higher this year. OPS, higher this year. He's on a 46 home run pace. That is what he hit in 2021, 46. So really, he is performing at a higher level offensively than he was when he was the MVP. That's pretty impressive alone. Now, let's look at the pitching side of this. 2021 versus 2023, same thing again. I want to show you what he's doing this year compared to 21. Okay, ERA slightly higher, but the strikeout rate is also higher, and the innings here are telling. His innings are at a pretty high level. He's at a pace where he's going to surpass what he did in 21, and the Angels are slowing him down. You remember he had a 4.88 ERA over an eight-start span going into that start in Texas when he pitched really well, six innings, two run runs. And the Angels have said, hey, we're going to back off him a little bit, space him out a little bit more. Otani has talked about fatigue. Well, obviously, they're going to need to max out this guy. That's what they have to do every year. So Shohei Otani, again, he'll be the player of the week, I 
assume that's going to be the case. He is on an MVP pace again. He is the best player in the game, the most exciting guy going, and I love watching him play, period. Now we move on to another story, not as happy a story as Shohei Otani. In fact, it's not a happy story at all. It's the A's move to Las Vegas. And I want to talk about the commissioner's news conference after the Nevada legislature basically approved the public funding that is required, at least by the A's, for this relocation to happen. And Manfred said some things in this press conference that, frankly, were upsetting to a lot of people in Oakland and really a lot of baseball fans everywhere because he engaged in something called punching down. And punching down is basically when you're talking down to people who are in less of a position of power than yourself and you're kind of condescending toward them. You're treating them not well. And I want to show you what he said. I know a lot of people are well aware of these quotes already, but I want to go back to them. This is what he said first about the reverse boycott. And this was the comment that got so many people upset. He said, and I'm going to show you this quote right now. This is Rob Manfred at his news conference. It is great to see what is this year, almost an average Major League Baseball crowd in the facility for one night. That's a great thing. Uh, That's sarcastic. That is not necessary. And that was a night in which the Oakland fans turned out, showed their spirit. No, they didn't fill the place or at least get to the capacity of the Oakland Coliseum. But guess what? It got pretty damn near the capacity of what the Las Vegas stadium is going to be, which is 30,000. It was a show of support. It is something where all the commissioner had to say was, hey, that was great to see. Unfortunately, it didn't work out in Oakland, and this move is going to happen, at least if it's approved by the major league owners. That's not what he said. He engaged in punching down. A commissioner of baseball should not be doing that. Now, there was another disputed comment with regard to this particular issue, and it involved Oakland's negotiations with the A's. Now, for years, this was going on. A person in baseball showed me a news release from 2009 last week in which Bud Selig said, he was then the commissioner, we've got to get this thing resolved. That was 14 years ago. So, granted, Oakland had many chances here, and this never got done. But here's what Manfred said. I want to show you this comment, too, because this, too, got a reaction. He said, there is no Oakland offer, okay? They never got to a point where they had a plan to build a stadium at any site. Well, of course, that got an immediate response from the Oakland people who, of course, thought that was not exactly the truth. In fact, I want to show you this statement from Julie Edwards. She's the spokesperson for Oakland Mayor Sheng Tao. And she said this in response to what Manfred remarked at his news conference. This is just totally false, referring to the no offer. There was a very concrete proposal under discussion, and Oakland had gone above and beyond to clear hurdles, including securing funding for infrastructure, providing environmental review, and working with other agencies to finalize approvals. The reality is, and this is a key part here, guys, The reality is the A's ownership had insisted on a multi-billion dollar, 55-acre project that included a ballpark, residential, commercial, and realtor space. In Las Vegas, for whatever reason, they seemed satisfied with a nine-acre leased ballpark on leased land. If they had proposed a similar project in Oakland, we feel confident a new ballpark would already be under construction. Oakland showed its commitment to the A's, and that is why the A's belong in Oakland. Okay. This is he said, she said to some degree, of course, 
people can have different views of negotiations. I get that. But clearly, there were negotiations that took place. Clearly, John Fisher, the owner of the A's, asked for a hell of a lot more from Oakland than he got from Las Vegas. These are facts. So for Manfred to say there was no offer, no, there were negotiations. There were things going on. There was an offer. So that was a comment that is worse than punching down. It's just a falsehood. And again, this is the commissioner of baseball, and this is the point I want to make here. He can say what he wants, and Evan Drellick wrote a great column for The Athletic about this whole matter. And Evan said, you know what? At times, we prefer our leaders and people in positions of power to tell the truth, and that's true. We do prefer that. But you can tell the truth, or at least give your truth, in a way that is not snide and condescending, in a way that is unbecoming for a commissioner of baseball, a person in Rob Manfred's position. When he speaks like this, and I understand he is the owner's out front guy, and he's there to take the hits, and we all know this. We all understand his position, and it's not an easy one, by the way, working with the 30 owners. But when you conduct yourself in that fashion, I'm sorry, it reflects poorly on your sport. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Finally, we move on to the National League West. This is a fascinating division, and I'm going to start off by showing you the standings because they're rather shocking in the NL West right now, and we're seeing what we haven't seen in a while, kind of the crumbling of the Dodgers, at least to this point. It's still mid-June. We're not talking about the end of the season. But let's take a look at the standings because they're kind of stunning, to say the least. Arizona, the Arizona Diamondbacks, a team that has been down for several years, a team that lost 110 games just two years ago, they lead this division. They've won 14 of their last 20. The Giants, they've won 10 of 12, and they're doing it with some young guys. Casey Schmidt and Patrick Bailey. It's pretty impressive to see this going on. Luis Matos just joined the team, replacing Mitch Haniger, who was down for a while. So the Giants are surging here. Do I think they're great? No, but they're pretty good. Then the Dodgers, four out, they've lost 10 of 12. And then the Padres, who have played better, they're finally starting to show some good things here. They have won seven of 10. So what the heck is going on here? Well, first of all, the Dodgers are a mess. Their bullpen ERA is next to last in the majors. Los Angeles Dodgers, next to last in bullpen ERA. Vesia has been a mess. Yancy Almonte has not been good either. They just seem to be out of sorts. And, of course, they lost their closer, Kenley Jansen, and that has hurt them. But you would have thought that this bullpen, which performed really well last year, would have held it together, and they have not. They've got Urias coming back in the rotation at the end of the month. They expect Daniel Hudson to come back to the bullpen at the end of the month as well. Ultimately, they could be looking at a pretty decent rotation. We're talking about Kershaw and Gonsolin and Urias and the two kids right now, Bobby Miller. And we saw Emmett Sheehan make his major league debut, and he was brilliant. Six scoreless innings against the Giants. So ultimately, they could be okay, and they could be okay in the bullpen as well. 
once they get some people back and might even get Blake Trinan back as well as Walker Bueller for that matter at the end of the season. But right now, they're not okay. Now, do I believe the Diamondbacks can win this division? Not without rotation help and not without bullpen help. They are really a force behind Gallon and Merrill Kelly. And after that, their rotation's basically young. Zach Davies is there, but he's inconsistent. They need help there. They're going to have to do some things at the deadline to kind of hold their own. I don't know if they can do it, but this is a fascinating division. It's a division that is playing out in a way that hardly any of us expected. And what is going to be really interesting over the next couple of months is to see whether the Dodgers can figure it out, both internally and at the deadline, and also to see whether the Padres become what we expect the Padres to be. They have not been that team so far. Time now for the Inside Dish. This is the segment where every week I go inside a story I've written or inside a story of relevance, either in baseball or perhaps even in journalism. And this week I want to talk about journalism a little bit because we had a really difficult period at The Athletic. We had some layoffs last week. And I want to start off by showing you a tweet that I sent out on Friday. It summed up my feelings rather well. The tweet said, it was a heartbreaking week at The Athletic. Personally and professionally, I will miss Rob Beer Temple, Corey Brock, Zach Buchanan, Dan Connolly, James Fegan, and Nick Crook. I love them all. Those names, those are six baseball writers that were laid off. These are guys that have been out in a while. Most of them have families, and when you go through layoffs, there's no good thing to say. It's terrible. It's painful. And it's especially painful at our site, the baseball end of the athletic, because we work so closely together. We are quite collaborative, intensely collaborative, I would say. I worked with every one of those writers closely. I work with all of our writers closely. And you'll see from time to time, we'll have stories with multiple bylines. That's a reflection of the collaboration that is going on. Now, our greatest strength at The Athletic, in my opinion, has been, at least on the baseball side, the size of our staff and the reach, the things we could do because of the size of that staff. Obviously, we're not there now. We're not in the same place. We're not as big as we were. And you talk about layoffs, and it's not only us going through this. A lot of media outlets are going through similar kinds of things, and it's never easy. And young people ask me all the time about getting into the business. And I say to them, you better really want to do this because the hours are long, pay is not usually great, and things happen. Really tough things happen. And we've all been through this. I've had lost jobs before. It's just part of this business, and it's not a particularly fun part. Now, I want to talk a little bit about where our direction is at The Athletic and what is going on here. And I've got some thoughts, and they're my thoughts. As the senior baseball writer, they are not the New York Times thoughts. They are not The Athletic's thoughts. This is coming from me, okay? I can't speak for The Times. I can't speak for The Athletic. Now, if you've noticed, people who subscribe, people who follow us, we've been going in this direction for a little while now, away from covering every team, which is what we were doing at one point. It was amazing that we could cover every team, but it wasn't successful. And when I say it wasn't successful, what I mean is that in certain markets, we just weren't making headway. We were getting crushed financially. And obviously, if you can cover every team, that's an amazing thing to do, but it just wasn't working. So we started pulling back, I think starting in 20, 2020, and this 
series of layoffs is basically a continuation of that. So it's really, in a sense, nothing new. But now we are pulling back and pulling back some more. So people are going to ask, and this is a fair question. Can we make this work? Can the athletic work as a website when it's not covering all the teams, when it's simply picking and choosing here and there and getting to all the teams through guys like myself and Jason Stark and Rick Garoli and Andy McCullough, all our national writers, but not covering them on a daily basis. People are asking, okay, is the athletic a viable model? And people are saying, and this I don't think is as fair, I told you so. I thought you guys could never make it. People aren't going to pay. You guys, nah, it's not going to work. Well, there are all kinds of ways to measure success in this world. I would say from an artistic standpoint, we are an unqualified success. You just read us and you know that. From my financial standpoint, one aspect we're a success, we sold or our founders sold us for $550 million to the New York Times. That's pretty good. Now, the next step of success, of course, is making money. We haven't done that yet. And we're part of a public company now. You can see that we have not made money. But at the same time, we've made an impact far beyond what I ever thought when I joined in 2017. I was given this place a year. I was hoping in a year's time, I would still have a job writing for The Athletic. And we became something that I never, ever imagined. We became a force in the industry. And we did it at a time when people were saying, ah, oh, the written word is dead. Remember the pivot to video movement? Well, I never believed that. And we proved that that wasn't the case, that the written word was not dead, that there is an audience for this. Now, the next step is, yes, we've got to try and, well, not try. We've got to make money. And we understand that. And we are going to keep going. This obviously is a rocky period for us, not something any of us is even remotely happy about. Frankly, last week was a really upsetting week, one of the most upsetting weeks of my career. But I do know this. We have the largest independent staff covering baseball in North America. The largest. Can't count MLB.com. They're owned by the league. They are not independent. We are independent of the league of anyone. Okay? I believe, and I don't even know that this is much of an argument, we are the best baseball writing staff in North America. You put us against anyone, I'll take our chances, okay? We cover the sport aggressively. We ask the hard questions. We tackle every issue. And of course, we do great features and analysis and all the things you would want, I would expect, from a baseball writing site. And I will tell you this, as we keep going here, we're not gonna stop. Now, will we succeed long-term? I can't say that with any certainty. But I can tell you, we're gonna give it our best shot as we've done from the very beginning. And I will say, and I will believe this always, if you're a baseball fan and you're not reading us, you're missing out. Time now for Dude and Dork of the Week. Now, obviously I could go with the Dude and Dork of the Week from the first segment. Dude of the Week could be Shohei Otani. Dork of the Week could be Rob Manfred. And we could call it a day and I think everyone would be satisfied with those choices. However, that's copping out. We've talked about those guys, so let's do something different. Let's give you a different dude of the week. And this is a guy, the dude, who is not getting nearly enough attention. He's an amazing player, and he's playing in a market that doesn't get much play. I get it. But Corbin Carroll, my goodness, are you noticing what this dude is doing? And I say dude because he is a dude. 
He is the National League leader in his rookie season in OPS. The National League leader in his rookie season in OPS+. Plus. He has hit 15 homers. He's 19 for 21 in stolen bases. And to give you some context on this guy, Corbin Carroll, so he was the 16th pick in the 2019 draft. All right, that's his first year. He plays a little bit after becoming a pro. 2020, there's no minor league season. He played, before coming to the majors, a total of 142 minor league games. And right now, he is not only the overwhelming choice for National League Rookie of the Year, he is a factor in the MVP race. Now, is he having a better year than Acuna? I don't know that you can say that, even though he's got the league lead in OPS. But he's in the conversation. Corbin Carroll, new to the week. Dork of the week, it's actually a multi-headed dork. And if you saw the Yankees on ESPN Sunday night, if you saw them all weekend, well, they didn't perform very well in Boston at all. They have not performed very well since losing Aaron Judge. And the reason they have not performed very well, for the most part, there are many reasons, of course, is the performance of their veteran hitters not named Aaron Judge. Since he was injured on June 3rd, these are the guys who have had to step up and have not at all. And I want to show you just how poorly their veteran hitters are performing or have performed since Judge went out. Look at this. Anthony Rizzo, 3 for 40. Again, this is all since Judge went down. Giancarlo Stanton, 4 for 38, 1 homer. DJ LeMahieu, 5 for 31, 1 homer. Josh Donaldson, 4 for 29, 3 homers. Gleyber Torres, 9 for 41. He's the leader of the pack here with three homers. Totals, 25 for 179. They're batting at a collective 140. Now, dork of the week is usually preserved for someone who says something stupid or does something stupid. These guys haven't done anything like that. They're just not performing well. But I did want to highlight what is going on here because it's not pretty. And you heard Hal Steinbrenner, their owner, last week, probably the most mild-mannered owner there is, or one of them. He said, he didn't call anybody out by name, but he said our veteran hitters need to perform better. For Hal Steinbrenner, that's practically front-page tabloid news. And he was right. These players do have to perform better. And the Yankees, this is a stat that blew me away, have the third worst on-base percentage in the majors, the New York Yankees. Obviously, they need Judge back, but they also need these guys, the ones we just mentioned, to perform better as well. All right, we've got an exciting week coming up, at least an exciting week for me. I'm flying to London on Wednesday and getting ready for the London series. And good news for those who watched the London series in 2019. That was the last time we had it. And if you remember, those games were just an absolute mess. Ten homers were hit in the two games. The scores were 17-13 Yankees and 12-8 Yankees over the Red Sox. So the good news is that they've changed the dimensions a little bit, made it, in theory, a little bit more difficult to hit a home run. The center field wall is getting pushed back, I believe it's 7 feet to 392 feet. The alleys also are going to be a little bit deeper. So as long as they don't use juice balls, not that I'm suggesting there were juice balls in London in 2019. I'm not saying that at all. But as long as they don't, then it should be a better brand of baseball. I should say also, when we were in London the last time, it was unseasonably hot. It was crazy hot for London. And that might have contributed to the balls flying all over the place as well. This year, it's Cubs-Cardinals. And again, I fly out Wednesday. The game on Fox will be Saturday. Looking forward to... Doing it from there and looking forward to bringing that broadcast to you guys.
Time now for the reader questions, and I always enjoy these. Actually, they're the viewer questions. I get a little confused with my job sometimes. These are the viewer and listener questions, and we're going to start off this week with Robert Smith. And Robert has an interesting question, and he asks, will MLB ever consider doing away with divisions and returning to just AL and NL? Seems you can maintain the same playoff format, but actually have the best teams in the postseason. Still a single elimination followed by a seven-game DS and CS would be more ideal to me. Robert, this is not happening. If anything, we are going to have expansion to 32 teams at some point. And at that point, we're going to have eight four-team divisions. And what divisions give you are more races. And that's kind of a healthy thing, I would think, in baseball's mind. And it's certainly something that sparks fan interest. It gives you rivalries. It gives you all kinds of context. I don't see that changing anytime soon. I understand your point, but it's going the other way. It's going toward the 814 divisions. All right, now for the next question, and this one comes from, well, BR Cord, whatever that is. BR Cord asks, and this is a common question from Yankee fans, how does Brian Cashman keep his job? I can't think of another GM with a longer tenure that has gone 14 years without a championship. Okay. Let's talk about Cashman a little bit because I know fans, Yankee fans, do love this topic. And it drives a certain segment crazy that they haven't won a World Series since 2009. Oh, my gosh. Well, Brian Cashman has been in this job 25 years. This is year 26. They've had a winning record every one of those seasons. Failed to make the playoffs only three times in that entire span. It's incredible. Now, yes. They have not won a World Series or even been in a World Series since 2009. And yes, if you want to take a snapshot of this current roster and start screaming your head off if you're a Yankee fan, not unfair to do that. They've had a lot go wrong here. And there have been some decisions made over the past several years, signing of Aaron Hicks, the trade for Joey Gallo, the trade for Giancarlo Stanton. You can go back and look at these, maybe even the signing of DJ LeMahieu, and say, hey, these were not good moves. And one thing I always think with large market teams is that the ability to spend money is both a blessing and a curse because these teams and the Yankees are not alone among them make more mistakes than others because they are able to take these chances, sign players, do bigger things, and it doesn't always work out. Now, Cashman has also done a number of good things that reflect on this roster as well that are reflected. Play Holmes, that was a trade that was brilliant for the most part. Jose Trevino. They've developed some pitching, Severino and Schmidt. Garrett Cole certainly was a good signing, I think, by any stretch of the imagination. They've also had a great development system going for several years now. They've traded a number of young pitchers to get other pieces that they needed. Those trades haven't worked out. I didn't even mention Frankie Montas. But for the most part, they're developing well. And look at the infielders, right? Volpe, Peraza, Cabrera's not really an infielder, but they have done a good job on that front. So he's not perfect. But to say he should be fired, that's probably strong. It's tough to say with that track record that he has done a bad job. All right, let's go to the final question now. And the final question comes from Greg Comfer. Greg, I appreciate you using your name. It's a good tweet there. And Greg asks, has the Orioles front office proved that tanking and stockpiling draft picks to be a sound strategy for success? If so, does MLB have an issue to deal with? I would say the Orioles have proven this to a certain degree, just as the Cubs proved it, just as the Astros proved it before then. And it is a problem. 
MLB has identified and acknowledged it's a problem. And this was a big topic in the most recent collective bargaining negotiations. And this led to the first ever creation in this sport of a draft lottery. And the lottery is not perfect. It doesn't do as much as I thought needed to be done to address tanking. I think at some point you got to have a minimum payroll. And the owners say, well, you give us a minimum, then we have to have a maximum. That's a salary cap. Not going to happen. But the lottery, and I don't know that everyone's really aware of the details, but the lottery is an interesting thing. Every team that did not make the playoffs qualifies for the lottery. That's 18 teams. And the worse your record, the better your odds. Also, the three teams with the worst records, the three worst, they get the same odds. So you can't just race all the way to the bottom and expect you're going to get that number one pick. It doesn't work that way in a lottery. You could finish with the worst record and theoretically pick seventh. Now, there's other aspects of this as well. A large market team can't be in the lottery two straight years. A small market team can't be in the lottery three straight years. These are all anti-tanking measures. Do they go far enough? No, they don't go far enough, but it's a start. So the draft order this year is going to be the Pirates, the Nationals, and the Tigers. The Pirates and Nationals had two of the three worst records in the game. They are drafting one-two. The other team with one of the three worst records, the A's, ended up sixth. So that's how the lottery works. Again, yes, the Orioles and the Astros and the Cubs proved that you can do this and do it rather successfully. Tanking, that is. Other teams have not been as successful, but the lottery at least is a step toward a better way. Put it that way. Thanks to everyone for their questions. Thanks to you guys for listening, for watching. You can subscribe to us on YouTube. You can get us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, wherever it might be. We'll be back next week from another secret, undisclosed location. No, we're not going to tell you where it is. Thanks, everyone. Spicy Ball is back for BetMGM sports players. Download the BetMGM sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit into your newly created account and place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if it loses. If the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Got to use that promo code SPICYBALL. Always bet responsibly. Gambling problem or concern? Call 1-800-GAMBLING. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.